Throughout man's long history, he's often wondered if he is the only intelligent being in the universe or whether life as we know it is confined to Earth alone. You know, the, the NASA and the, the scientists and that kind of program spend billions of dollars trying to find out if there is extraterrestrial life out there and uh, spend billions of our tax dollars on space research and why coded messages are continuously being transmitted into the far distant recesses of outer space by means of radio telescopes. Now, I really could save them all that money, all of our money, <laughs> by telling them the answer to these uh, questions that they're looking for. They anxiously await a return signal by non-earthly ears, wondering if they do hear back from some ET out there, whether or not that, would, that ET would prove friend or foe. And in light of this, it is really tragic that man does not turn where for his answers. Instead of out there, with all the billions of dollars spent, that he does not turn to the word of God in his search, because the Bible clearly answers this question, as it does all other questions that confront humanity. Is there intelligent life out there in the universe? What is the answer? Yes, other than man. Are there other living and rational creatures out, out there somewhere besides man? And the answer is, according to scripture, absolutely yes. Are they friend or foe? Friend or enemy? Both, exactly. Is there civiliz civilization that is older than our own? older than mankind. Again, there is. Will we ever be able to communicate with these creatures, extraterrestrial creatures? And the answer again is, we not only will, but there have been a number of human beings who already have met and talked with them. So who are these cosmic creatures? Everybody? They are angels. Now, of course, every picture I'm going to be showing you up here is just an artist's rendering, um, and we'll get into that, but I just want you to know that this is not a photo of a real angel. I think that is a photo of a real man wearing a set of wings, but angel mania has made a wide sweep through our culture recently. Have you noticed that? You go to a bookstore, you can find all kinds of books on angels. And I went onto website after website after website and could not believe some of the stuff that I found on angels. And it was a mistake to put in Google a search, you know, angels, because I came up with uh, blue angels, which are the F-18s, like my son flies, you know. <laughs> and I came up with Charlie's angels <laughs> and Hell's angels. <laughs> An angel fish, so then I thought, mm, I guess I have to get a little more specific, and so I typed in what the Bible has to say about angels, and even then again, whew, the list went on and on and on. Um, one problem is that much of what is written, much, is actually occultic. For example, how to get in touch and attune to spirit beings, and or how to draw on the power of angels for our own lives, or how to reconnect with our inner lost selves and to achieve our own personal goals, or how to have better relationships with other people by getting in touch with the angels, or how to heal our illnesses, etc. It goes on and on and on and on. 
much of which has to do with fallen angels, demonic occultic activity. Another problem with much of what is written or taught about is that it is just totally unbiblical. What is the final authority for what we teach on anything, including the subject of angelology? The scripture. Yes, the word of God. Thank you. So what exactly? The only thing I'm interested in, the only thing you all are interested in, is what does the Bible have to tell us about angels? Well, for one thing, we discover that the Bible never really explains angels. Rather, it merely makes references to their activities. We really come up with a lot more unanswered questions about angels than we do detailed knowledge about them. Angels angels are actually mentioned in 34 of the 66 books of the Bible. So let me just say up front, if you don't believe in angels, you might as well throw out most of the Bible. Well, you can throw out all of the Bible, because guess who did believe in angels and talked about them quite a bit? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So if you're going to say that you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus Christ as the divine Son of God, but you don't believe in angels, well, then you don't really believe in Jesus Christ, because he talked quite a bit about angels. In fact, they... they um, they were very involved in his entire earthly ministry. They predicted his birth. They um, announced his birth, as we know, this time of year. You know, the angels announced the birth to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem. They protected him during his ministry. They ministered to him in the wilderness. They ministered to him in Gethsemane. They rolled away the tombstone. There they are ministering to him. They announced his uh, resurrection. They predicted his second coming. They will, uh, well, they were actually, angels appeared at the time of his second coming. I mean, the time of his ascension. They will accompany him also at the time of his second coming. And they are in total subjection to him. They're mentioned 108 times in the Old Testament, angels are and 165 times in the New Testament. Angels were created early in the process of creation because, and we know this because uh, Job chapter 38 describes them as witnessing the laying of earth's foundation. It says the morning stars, and that's another name for the angels, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God, that was an Old Testament name also for angels, and the sons of God shouted for joy. That's in Job 38, 7. Like everything else in this universe, including man, they were created by a special act of the triune God. They did not evolve. They did not evolve into being. Psalm 148 says, Praise ye him, all his angels... Praise ye him, all his hosts, and hosts is another name for angels. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, what's that? The word of his mouth, he commanded, and they, the angels, the hosts of heaven, were created. Does that sound like evolution? Angels did not evolve, they were created by the spoken word of God. And they were created to glorify God. It says, and this is an important verse, Colossians 1.16, For by him, speaking of Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Do we see angels? No, they're invisible. 
whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, those are all speaking about different ranks of angels, all things were created by him, by Christ, and for him. Now the number of angels once completed at creation was forever fixed. We assume this because we never read of God creating any more of them. And Jesus said he only he created them at one time. Not like man. You know, man, he created Adam and then Eve. But angels, he created all of them at one time. And Jesus told us in Luke 20, verse 36, that they do not reproduce themselves. So that the number of them is fixed. It doesn't change. Furthermore, Jesus told us that they cannot die. So the original number of angels that were created before the laying of the foundation of the earth will never increase in size and will never decrease in size. So they are therefore considered a company or a host of angels. That's why you read of a company of angels or a host of angels when they're described. And you do not read of the race of angels. We are the human race because we reproduce. Reproduce. They do not reproduce, so they are called a host or a company. How many angels are there? Do you, does anybody know? Do you think anybody knows? Well, I, I would imagine God knows. I know God knows, but he is probably the only ones. Well, maybe he told the angels how many of them there are. But like humans, um, they, each one of them is individually unique. There are many, many of them. Scripture speaks of a multitude of heavenly hosts. And every single one, just like snowflakes, every single one is unique. They didn't all come out, you know, a carbon copy. They, like us, they have personality. They have, uh, maybe they have angelic DNA. I don't know. But each one of them is unique. The Bible talks about uh, angels that were ga gathered around God's throne in Revelation 5.11. As uh, the, John says, the Apostle John says that the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now, how many is that? A lot. Hebrews 12.22 refers to an innumerable. What does that mean? You can't count them. An innumerable company of angels. And again, there's that word company. Not race, but company of angels. Frequently, we find that their number is compared to the uh, stars. And how many stars are there? Innumerable. And there are multiplied, multiplied billions and billions of stars in the universe, so there are probably multiplied, multiplied billions of angels up there in heaven. Angels are spirit beings. Am I hearing angels talking <laughs> okay they are spirit beings which means that they do not possess flesh and bone bodies which Christ himself stated in Luke 24:39 you know we're in a spiritual warfare right it says that we don't we don't uh, war against flesh and bone and blood but against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places because even though our focus today is on heavenly angels uh, there are a whole host of evil angels or demons we'll get to them in a minute but we are they don't have they don't have like us terrestrial flesh and bone and blood bodies they're spirit beings 
but they do possess a, a body of some type, which is called a celestial body in 1 Corinthians 15.40. Angels were created by God to dwell with him in the heavens, and they were given access to the earth after the earth's creation. Now, according to scripture, one-third, here's where we get into the other angels, one-third of the angels, and again, this is just an artist's rendition of this, so it doesn't necessarily mean at all that that's what they look like. One-third of the created angelic beings were persuaded, and they were deceived into joining Lucifer. Who was Lucifer? He was, at one time, the chief cherub of heaven. His name, Lucifer, meant star of the morning. But one-third of the angelic beings joined him in his prideful rebellion against God. And this you can read about in Isaiah chapter 14. Lucifer, as I said, was one of heaven's chief angels. It says in Ezekiel 28:14 that he was the anointed cherub that covered, covereth. He was a very special the number one angel um, and his purpose was to protect God's honor and God's holiness. He was constantly in the presence of God. Now, because such a large number of angels joined in Lucifer's revolt against God, the Bible refers to him as the prince of angels and the ruler of the authority of the air in Ephesians 2.2. 2. However, the good news is that two-thirds of the angels chose to remain faithful to God, and they are referred to as the holy or the elect angels. Well, after Lucifer was cast from heaven by God, his name was changed, and we basically know him as Satan, which means adversary. He is the devil. He is the author of sin. And the angels who fell with him are called evil spirits, wicked spirits, or, or demons. There's some other names for them as well. Satan and his fallen angels, or demons, there's that verse I was talking about before, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our battle is against Satan and his demons, his foe. Um, Fallen angels and, and Satan as their head are, are known by the discord and the wars that they promote, the hatred that they provoke, the murders they initiate, the crimes they instigate, and the continual worldwide opposition to God and to God's word. They deceive, they disturb, they destroy, they deprave, and uh, they... They do everything wicked that they possibly can in every way that they can possibly come up with. And they have been at this for a long time. So the devil and the demons are very, very good at what they do. They are dedicated to the spirit of destruction. But as I said, our focus is on the holy angels. Since we're at Christmas time, I thought I would speak mostly about the holy angels now. If it gets closer to Halloween, maybe we'll talk about the fallen angels, but we'll save that. Scripture speaks of angels in the third heaven, which is where God dwells, and where they worship him continuously, day and night, saying what? Holy, 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 and whatever else they say. 
to God, but they're constantly worshiping him up in the third heaven. We also find them in the second heaven, which is the universe, the universe around the earth, not the atmospheric, but the, the universe with all the stars and the galaxies. They are also traversing the universe, serving God in various ways as they carry out his assignments. And we also find them in the first heaven, which is our atmospheric heaven around the earth. And as I mentioned, they even intervene from time to time in human affairs. Actually, I think they intervene a whole lot more than we realize. I think they're continuously intervening in human affairs, and we'll get to that when we talk about their ministering spirits to us, the elect, and also guardian angels we'll talk about. Angels now are not demigods. In other words, they do not have the attributes of deity. For one thing, they are not like God. They are not omniscient. What does that mean? They're not all-knowing. They don't know everything. For example, it says in 1 Peter 1.12 that the gospel contains truths that the angels desire to look into. What does that tell us? It tells us they don't know everything. They're still learning. They're continuously learning. Do you think we will be continuously learning throughout all heaven just like the angels? Yes. We will be continuously learning. There are things that they do not understand, and there are things that they do not know. For example, they don't know the day and the hour of Christ's return, Mark 13, 32 tells us. Neither are the angels, they're not omniscient, meaning they're not all-knowing. They are also, unlike God, um, they are not omnipresent which means that they cannot be everywhere at one time. Although they can obviously move from one place to another a whole lot faster than we can. And that's why people uh, usually, almost always, have angels with wings. Because of the fact that they can get from one place to another, so they put wings on them. But the only angels described to us in the Bible with wings are the seraphim and the cherubim and the living creatures in Revelation. So no other angels really are described as having wings when they appear to men. They never talk about, they don't talk about wings, but artists draw them with wings because of the fact that they can traverse so fast. Okay? So again, don't always believe what you, what you see. Go by what the scripture says. But they can, the good news is, for especially when we consider Satan, they can only be at, in one place at one time. So when we use excuse and all that, the devil made me do it, he can only be in one place at one time. So he can only make one of us be able to say that at a time. He can't be everywhere. Now he does have this host of fallen uh, demons that serve him, and they can be everywhere, but not one of them can be everywhere at the same time like God. And although uh, angels are far more powerful than man, they are not omnipotent. They are not all powerful. Yet they are called the mighty angels of God, 2 Thessalonians 1.7. And the Greek word that is used for mighty is dynami. And what do you hear when I say dynami? Dynamite. They are very powerful. Very powerful. Remember, it only took one angel to slay all the firstborns, both man and beast, in all of Egypt back in Moses' day at the time of the Passover. And it only took uh, one angel to strike the Assyrian encampment 
around Jerusalem and 185,000 soldiers were found dead in the field the next day. One angel. An angel shut the mouths of the lions when Daniel was visiting with them in Daniel 6.22. We read in Psalm 103.20 that God's angels excel in strength. So they are very powerful, but they are not omnipotent, all-powerful like God. Angels were designed to render worship to God and not to receive worship themselves, which was Lucifer's mistake, right? He wanted worship for himself. In fact, in every single case in Scripture where a holy angel is offered any form of worship, they, he always rebukes the worshiper and redirects worship to where? To God alone. One of the strongest proofs of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ is the, the biblical assertion that he, as we read earlier, he is the one who created all things, including angels. And we've referred to that verse in uh, Colossians 1.16, although there are other verses which prove that Jesus Christ is the creator. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses wrongly teach that Jesus Christ is an archangel, not the creator, but a created being. You know, they deny the Trinity. They say that Jesus was merely an archangel, like Michael is an archangel, the highest of created beings, and yet just a created being. That is wrong, totally, totally wrong. Mormons blasphemously teach that Lucifer, Satan, and Christ are brothers, spiritual brothers. But does the Bible support this? Absolutely not. The Bible refutes these kind of heresies by making it clear, crystal clear, that Christ himself is the one who created everything, including the entire hierarchy of heaven, including Lucifer, Satan. So Jesus Christ cannot be both creator and created being. No way. Make sure you make that clear with anyone who knocks on your door telling you something else. In his great wisdom, God purposely made angels invisible to man. He purposely made them. We we cannot know. There are times when he opens certain people's eyes, as he did Elijah's servant, or was it Elijah's servant, I think, Gehazi, so that he could see. I mean, there have been times when people have seen angels, but for the most part, I think we would go crazy if we could see what's going on above us. The angelic warfare between the holy angels and the, and the, and the fallen. And we would especially go crazy if we could see the fallen angels, I'm sure of that. So God made angels invisible to men because he knows also how men tend to venerate the creature, worship the creature rather than the creator. We are not to worship or pray to angels. Only the triune God is to be the object of our worship and our prayers. Furthermore, we should not confuse angels with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. Do people do that? People do everything you can imagine. (laughs) Yes, they do. Some people confuse him with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit 
seals the believer and indwells the believer, at least in the church age, at the time of his or her salvation. Not angels. Angels do not come and indwell the believer at the time of his or her salvation. Now, fallen angels do at times indwell unbelievers who get into forbidden occultic practices. But holy angels do not ever indwell a believer or an unbeliever. Is God the Holy Spirit also who convicts men of their sin and of righteousness and of judgment, not the angels? It is the Holy Spirit who reveals to us and interprets Christ to us, while angels are merely messengers of God who serve as ministering spirits. The Holy Spirit never manifested himself in human form. Who did? God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, manifested himself in human form, but never did the Holy Spirit do that. Um, but the angels do at times manifest themselves in the form of a man. And also he, God, the Holy Spirit being God, can be everywhere at the same time. Can he not? He's God, he, so he's omnipresent. But angels are not. We already discussed that. They're not omniscient, they're not omni omnipotent, and they're not omnipresent. So don't ever confuse angels with the Holy Spirit. We also learn from Scripture that there is, as I just mentioned, a hierarchy of heavenly hosts. The angels are organized. This happens to be a picture here of um, those four living creatures described in Revelation. Each one has a different face. One has the face of a... Now, the living creatures are really interesting. Study them because they're sort of a combination of seraphim and cherubim. Each one has a separate face, whereas cherubim have four faces. Can you imagine an angel with four faces? I mean, you look this way and you got the face of a lion. Over here, your face is an ox. Back here, maybe it's a man. And on this side, it's an eagle. Now, that's weird, isn't it? But <laughs> there's no limit to God's creative powers, are there? I mean, we're, and some of them have wheels. I mean, it's just really strange. But the four faces of the cherubim symbolize Jesus Christ. And the four Gospels that we've been looking at, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the lion face is a picture of Christ the King, Matthew. The ox face is a picture of Christ, the servant of Jehovah, Mark. Mark portrays Christ as the servant of Jehovah. Then the face of the man portrays Christ in his humanity, and that's the Gospel of Luke, where we are presented with Christ as the Son of Man. And what do you think the eagle face symbolizes? Yeah, the divine Son, the deity of Christ. And uh, that's the book of John. So there's a lot of symbolism in the angels. But this is, it happens to be a picture of the four living creatures described for you in Revelation somewhere, four and five or something like that, if you want to look at that. I'm not, I'm, my purpose isn't to get into a big description of angels in this lesson. It's to whet, whet your appetite so you'll go and read more and learn more about angels yourselves. But we're talking about the hierarchy of the heavenly hosts. The angels are organized in a divinely ordered chain of command that's very difficult, really, to arrange from our limited understanding. We know that there are archangels. Actually, some commentators say that there are two archangels, Michael and Gabriel, but you can only really support from Scripture that there's one, Michael. Michael's the only one who is called the archangel. Michael is the one who defends Israel. Michael is the one who um, fought the devil for whose body? Right, I heard it. Moses' body in Jude 9, I think it is, somewhere around that. And Michael is um, 
Also, the archangel who will, right before the rapture of the church, we will hear the voice of the archangel. That will be Michael. Split second before we're out of here. Last thing we hear, the sound of the trumpet and then the voice of the archangel. And that is Michael. Michael. Hmm. Great angel. And then there are the cherubim. Um, after after the, the archangels, there are, and we're not sure exactly about the, the hierarchy of all this. Well, I was telling you, some commentators say there's two. Some say there's seven archangels. But they have to kind of dip into the Apocrypha to get that. So I'm not really all for that. But the only one we can be sure of is Michael. Um, Okay, so then there's the cherubim, then there's the seraphim, then there are the four living creatures of Revelation, and then there are the whole, there's a whole category of ruling angels who are described or categorized into principalities and powers and thrones and authorities and dominions and might. Now some of those are speaking of the fallen angels and some of them are referring to the holy angels and I don't want to get into that because that could be another lesson all in itself but they are arranged in this hierarchy of command remember it's a company it's a it's like an army the host the heavenly host and this order may slightly uh, it may signify different offices and different services but there are obviously also differences in powers of certain angels over others who do you think has the most power of any of the angels the archangel I would assume that Michael has the most power and some have authority in areas that others do not have authority in the Bible indicates to us that angels do not age now that would be a nice thing to think about wouldn't it And neither is there any record of an angel having any sickness or disease or handicap. The curse of sin that has brought destruction, disease, and chaos and death to this earth has not affected the angels. Furthermore, angels are uh, sexless. Now, they can take on human form, and they did before the flood at one point in time. And they cohabitated with the daughters of men, but that's another story they produce giants but they themselves are spirit beings Jesus said um, in heaven that we will neither marry nor be given in marriage but will be as the angels of God in heaven also there is nothing in scripture that tells us that angels eat in order to stay alive however We do find that on certain occasions, angels who manifested themselves in human forms did eat. One time, remember, angels, along with the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, visited, unexpectedly, Abraham. And that's where we get the scripture that tells us in Hebrews 13, to be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels angels could be somebody in here actually entertained an angel at one time or was hospitable to an angel Abraham did and they ate with him didn't they and they ate then they left him and they went over to see Lot in Sodom and they also ate with Lot it's also interesting that David referred to the manna eaten by the Israelites while they were in their wilderness wanderings as angels food did you know manna was called angels food that's where we get our angels food cake 
I guess. <laughs> so, I don't know. Angels, uh, don't ask me where we get deviled eggs now. <laughs> or devils, okay. Psalm 78:25. if you want to read about manna being called angel's food. So maybe in heaven, angels eat manna. The corn of heaven, it is also referred to. There's also an interesting account of the angel who fed Elijah after his great victory over the, uh, the priests of Baal. Had a great victory there. Called fire down from heaven and, you know, he was on the mountaintop. And then what happened? Just one woman and away he fled, Jezebel. And he was very, Elijah was very tired and he was very discouraged. And so God sent him uh, an angel to, to feed him. And the angel fed him just two meals that were enough to keep him strengthened and sustained for 40 days and 40 nights as he then traveled to Mount Horeb. So that is what I call an angel energy bar. <laughs> Wouldn't you like that? Two meals that lasted 40 days. So that would be 20 days from just one meal. Wow. Must have had chocolate in them. <laughs> Also, the Apostle Paul tells us that there is a language of angels. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Angels have a celestial language, although they can speak to humans in human languages as well. They're very intelligent, so I imagine they speak every, every language and every dialect on planet Earth. The messages of angels to man in the scripture were often those of haste. This is why I think... My husband must be part angel because he's always, always telling me to hurry up. First of all, he's always telling me, get up, get up, get up. First thing in the morning, get up and then hurry up. I hear that all day long. Hurry up. Dr. Billy Graham's book on angels quotes a Dr. Miller who said that the words hurry up and get up would be most fit of the angelic commands of the Bible. And it's true. I started looking at when angels spoke to men. For example, an angel said to Lot, hurry up and get out of here. An angel said to Gideon, arise and go. An angel said to Hagar, arise and lift up your child. An angel said to Elijah, arise and eat. Another angel said to Peter in prison, arise quickly. And to Joseph, the stepfather of Joseph, an angel said, go quickly. And to Philip, another angel said, or maybe the same one, arise and go. So they're, they're always saying, hurry up and get up. Angels are highly intelligent. We've talked about that. They do communicate. They have conversations. They express emotion. Remember, they sang together at the creation of the earth. They experience joy. It's joy and emotion. Yes, they experience joy over every sinner that repents. Would be to God that we would have the joy over everyone who comes to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ as the angels have in heaven. They just have a big party every single time somebody gets saved down here on earth. They have great joy over every sinner that repents. They worship God. And you know, meaningful worship is not possible apart from emotion from authentic feelings. The purest worship of all involves rejoicing in truth. You know, when we're studying truth and we're rejoicing in God's word, which is truth, we are worshiping. Did you know that? We are worshiping. That is, that is the, the purest form of worship. 
is rejoicing in truth. Isaiah's description of angelic worship around the throne of God is full of emotional, true worship. Listen to what Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 3. I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, which is another name for the burning ones. Remember, one of them took a a burning coal and touched it to Isaiah's lips. They're called the burning ones. And it says, each one had six wings with twain, or two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did did fly. I told you some angels, I wouldn't get too far, would I? But some angels, like the seraphim and the cherubim, are described with wings, but others are not. Um, But that that, that is uh, symbolic of their humility. And their reverence for God, that they cover their feet and that they cover their cover their face. And it says, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Does that sound like emotion to you? Yes, they have emotion. From the account of Lucifer's sin. And the fall with him of one-third of the angelic host, it's also obvious that angels have a will. They have a will. So not only do angels have all the attributes of personality, which are intelligence, emotion, and will, but they are also very lofty creatures. They are slightly higher in majesty and authority than humans, at least for the time being. And we know this because in Hebrews 2.7, we are told that God has made man a little lower than the angels. Yet, it's interesting that it also states that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. So it's interesting that we are right now a little lower than the angels, and yet they serve us, those of us who are the elect, those of us who are children of God because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ's death on our behalf. They're higher than us, but they serve us. Now, according to Jesus himself, God will alter the temporary lower position of man when the kingdom has come in its fullness. Angels currently, right now, they hold a higher state than we do in respect to their heavenly residence, we dwell down here on planet Earth, which is not quite as nice as heaven. Would you agree? So they are higher than we in respect to their heavenly residence. They're higher than we in respect to their sinlessness. And again, I'm talking about the holy angels. And they're higher than us in regard to their bodies because they are stronger, they are smarter, they are swifter than men. They are unhindered by a fallen nature. And they are unbound by the laws of of, uh, gravity and time. They're outside of time. But someday, redeemed humanity will have glorified bodies. We'll have some kind of a heavenly celestial body. We will be completely sinless in both our position and our practice. And we will also have a heavenly residence. In fact, we are even told that we will judge the angels one day, which I'm not sure 
But I would think that would refer to the fallen angels, because why would this holy angels need to be judged? But um, anyway, now let me just sidetrack a little minute, um, a minute. I didn't share this with the other group, but why why do you think that the angels are not redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ? Why are they not redeemable? The fallen angels, you know, they sinned. Lucifer sinned. A third of the angels sinned, and they fell. Why are they not redeemable like fallen humanity? Well, possibly, I was trying to find a lot of different ideas on this from different commentators I read. Possibly the fact that they already have complete spiritual knowledge. I mean, they were there in heaven. They saw God create, you know, them. they were created by God, and then they saw him create everything in six days, you know. And they were in his presence. They understand the infinite goodness, or did understand, and would still do, the infinite goodness and holiness of their creator. Which means that their decision to rebel against him is final. They believe, we are told they believe. They know who God is. They know who Christ is, don't they? But they believe only to tremble. They do not and will not believe and repent they are confirmed in their depravity also their number is fixed remember I told you that they do not reproduce they do not reproduce Christ therefore could not become an angel he could not be born into the angelic host could he because they don't reproduce so he couldn't be their kinsman redeemer. He couldn't become one of them in order to redeem them, as he has with us. So aren't you glad that you're a fallen human instead of a fallen angel? Now that's something to be thankful about right there. In our glorified state, when we share the throne of Christ, as we will, when we are exalted into the likeness of Christ, when we are joint heirs with him and share his throne, we will have, in some ways, an even higher estate than the angels. And that really is a truly amazing concept to think about because they are so magnificent and they are so lofty and they are so powerful and so holy. But one day we will have an even higher estate than them. Dr. Lewis Berry Schaefer in his volume on systematic theology says this, and I have to think about this. He says, quote, in the Old Testament terminology, sometimes angels are called the sons of God, while men, this is Old Testament economy, angels are called the sons of God, while men are called the servants of God, Old Testament, all right? He says, in the New Testament, this is reversed. Angels are servants, and Christians are the sons of God. Particular order may be due to the fact that in the Old Testament, men are seen as related to this sphere over which angels are superior, while in the New Testament, saints are seen as related to their final exaltation into the likeness of Christ, compared to which the angels are inferior. Amazing. End of quote. By the way, while we're discussing this aspect of angels, let me make it clear that people never become angels. People never become angels. You would be amazed how many times you might hear this, where people think that when they die, 
Now, you know what? I was not raised in a Christian home. And I had this concept. I don't know where I got it from. Maybe my mother told me. I don't know. But I had this idea that when I died, these, these, uh, these bones right here in my back would turn into wings. And I would become an angel. So there is some misconception, even among Christians, that when people die, they sprout wings and they become angels. That is not true at all. And it is totally an unbiblical concept. Neither do infants and toddlers who die become little angels flying around like cherubs in heaven, as we see you know, at Valentine's Day. Men never become angels, and angels never become men. Now, they may appear sometimes so that they look like men, but they never change their kind, you know, after their own kind, after their own kind. Of course, angels don't reproduce after their own kind, but angels never become men, never. Now, there's only one exception to this, and that is my husband. (laughs) I'm actually married to the only man angel, and I know that this is true because he's always up in the air harping about something. <laughs> he's not going to appreciate when he hears this. <laughs> uh, again, while we're on this subject, let me also say that although most of the angels drawn on Christmas cards, contrary to most of the angels that we see sitting on top of Christmas trees and those that can be purchased in the store and those that we wear on our clothing, probably somebody has an angel on their clothing, and the little pins that we wear that people give us or the angels that we use to decorate our homes, etc., etc. Most of them are presented, how? As women. I just got through reading a very good little book last night called The Christmas Hope. I can't think of it, but it was just a little book. It was so good. And it had things to do with angels. But every time, the angel was always a female. That is not, and I think this is supposed to be a female here. (laughs) That is not biblical. There is never one single angel in the scripture who appeared as a woman. Whenever an angel made an appearance before men, it was always as a man. A male, always as a male. Also, masculine pronouns are always used to refer to angels. And every angel name which is given to us in Scripture, and there are not many, but every name is always masculine, such as Lucifer, Michael, Gabriel, Apollyon, the angel of the bottomless pit, um, then there are some mentioned, well, I probably shouldn't even go there, but the Apocrypha, which we don't believe is God-inspired, intertestamental books, but there are some angels mentioned in there, not inspired, but they name Raphael, Uriel, and Jeremiah. And uh, I just had to bring this up because there was, you know, Joseph Smith, who was the founder of Mormonism, said that he saw an angel, it was an angel that revealed to him whatever it was. Was it the golden tablets? Where's Marilyn? Help me out. On. Was it the golden tablets? Yeah. And what was that angel's name? Oh, Moroni. Moroni. Now, how would you like to have a religion started by an angel called Moron? <laughs> Moroni. But they're all male. They're all masculine names. Sometimes the angels appear as regular men, such as the angels who visited Abraham and sat down with him and ate with him. 
and uh, talked with him and walked with him. Of course, one of those was the pre-incarnate Christ. At other times, they appear as extraordinary, even supernatural men. For example, the angel who appeared at Jesus' empty tomb in Matthew 28.3 was no normal-looking man. He was described as having a countenance like lightning, and raiment white as snow. Whenever an angel is described in the Bible, they're always dressed in what color? White. And what does that signify? See? You're white? Purity. <laughs> Purity. They're described in dazzling splendor and great glory, which makes us understand why so many saved and unsaved people have attempted to worship them, because they're just glorious to behold. Whenever angels did appear, which was 104 times, by the way, in Scripture, angels appeared to men, 104 times, it's recorded, it was always in the role of a messenger. Messenger is the primary meaning in Greek of the word angel. In Greek, the word is angelos, angel, messenger, means messenger. The Old Testament Hebrew name means exactly the same thing, ambassador or, or messenger. Furthermore, most of the biblical appearances of angels caused great fear, as you can imagine. If an angel suddenly appeared to you, as to Mary or Joseph, I mean, they, they were always fearful initially. And a lot of times they, they would first comfort. Before they gave their message, they would comfort the one they visited by saying, fear not, you know, fear not, you don't need to be afraid. It tells us that the uh, the, she- the angels appeared to the the angel that appeared to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem to announce the birth of Christ. It says that the shepherds were sore afraid, and when the Roman se- soldiers guarding the Lord's tomb saw the angel there, it says for fear of him, the angel, they did shake and became as dead men. Angels are our divine protectors. And I like this part. The concept of guardian angels, is that biblical or unbiblical? It is biblical. It is not unbiblical. That whole concept of guardian angels, not the fact that they're shown as female, is unbiblical. Matthew 18.10 contains the Lord's words. He says, Take heed that ye that ye despise not one of these little ones. He was speaking about little children. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels, possessive pronoun, their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Speaking of little ones, angels. They're angels. It says in Psalm 91.11, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Let me read something from a, a book that I got on Mystery of Angels by Grant Jeffries, where he says here, Angels still intervene to protect men, women, and children from harm. When we get to heaven and look back on our life with the completed spiritual insight of God, I believe we will be astonished to discover the many times angels have intervened to protect us without our awareness. Only heaven will reveal how often assaults and accidents have been prevented by the supernatural actions of these angelic messengers of God. In Hebrews 13.1, God tells us that we should not forget to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. He goes on and gives some accounts of angelic 
accounts where angels actually protect, protected pastors, missionaries on the field. I know all of you have probably heard various accounts of how that has happened. I know if you study uh, Jewish history and some of their wars, like the Six-Day War, you'll read some amazing accounts of angelic armies protecting the, the Jewish people. But uh, So the concept of, of uh, angel guard, guardian angels is very biblical. Furthermore, Hebrews 1.14 speaks of the holy angels and tells us that they are ministering spirits, as we said, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. So the scriptures are full of um, dramatic evidences of the protective care of angels in their earthly service to God's people. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about those who fear him and delivereth them. Now, whether this means that each believer has a specific guardian angel on duty 24-7, or whether various angels on occasion simply protect and aid the heirs of salvation, we don't really know. But both are possible biblically. Whether you have your own particular guardian angel who you keep very busy, or whether just angels periodically come down to protect, you know, I don't know. But both are possible. Now another thing that is true of holy angels is that they never minister selfishly. They serve so that all glory will be given to God as believers in him are strengthened. Furthermore, angels are interested spectators in all that God is working out in this world through his children. 1 Corinthians 4, 9 says, For we are made a spectacle or an exhibit unto the world and to, and to angels and to men. Did you know that we believers are being watched, not only by those around us in the world, but we're being watched from heaven's balcony. We are being watched by the angels as God's holy angels have watched the drama of the conflict of the ages unfold. They have seen the church of Christ established. It says in Ephesians 3.10 to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. You know what that says? That says that through God's work in his church, the angels are learning about the many-sided wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God. They're watching us. They're watching him work in his church, and they're learning more and more about him and his wisdom. And by learning more about him, they are glorifying him more and more. Well, what do you think angels see as they look down on 21st century America? The Church of America. They must be pretty sick. Do they observe us standing fast in the faith and walking in righteousness? Or may they be wondering about our lack of commitment, our lukewarmness, our worldliness, and our compromises with the kingdom of darkness? God's charge to you and I is to live righteously in this present world. And that is a charge that really should sober us when we realize that the walk and the spiritual warfare of the Christian is the primary concern of heaven and the angelic hosts. Paul said to us, I charge thee 
before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Paul was here in writing that. He was stirring up young Timothy to remember that the elect angels of heaven were constantly watching how he served God the Father and God the Savior, Jesus Christ, and how he was living out his Christian life. And they are included, the angels are included in the Hebrews 12:1 great cloud of witnesses, you know, seated, as I said, in the heavenly grandstands, watching what is going on down here. Dr. Vance Havner, deceased now, but a great preacher, from Western North Carolina, wrote about an old preacher whose wife asked him why he spent so much time working on his sermon every week when his congregation just consisted of a few people. Why do you spend so much time on your sermon when just a few people are going to hear it? And this preacher said to her, you forget, my dear, how large my audience really will be. Nothing is trivial here if heaven looks on. True, true, true. And remember that in everything you do and whoever your little flock is that you're shepherding or whatever you're doing for the Lord, from heaven's perspective, it counts big time. Your faithfulness, your stewardship for how you're serving him. And the angels are learning from what you're doing. That should sober us. Now, one last thing. I know this was no 30 minutes, was it? Not by any stretch of the imagination. But are our caterers here? Okay, we're okay. Okay. One last thing that I want to mention about angels is uh, that they will not only be very instrumental in assisting Christ with the judgment of unbelievers... You know, there are angels who, holy angels, who are assigned to separate the wheat from the tares and the sheep from the goats, you know, believers from unbelievers, <clears throat> the saved from the lost. But they are also, angels are also instrumental in assisting Christ with the homegoing of believers. In other words, God commissions his holy angels to escort each believer to heaven. In Luke 16, we read of the beggar Lazarus who died in earthly poverty. And by the way, that isn't just a parable because parables never give names of real people and this was a real name of the beggar Lazarus. Uh, we are told that the, the beggar died in earthly poverty but he was very rich in faith, which counts for eternity. And when he died, Jesus said that he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. You know, also in the Bible, um, angels in the Old Testament are referred to by terms such as chariots of God, Psalm 68:17, and chariots of fire, 2 Kings 6:17, and elsewhere. So angels not only are called heavenly host and all the other names, the elect angels, but they're also referred to as chariots of God and chariots of fire. Elijah, remember, was seen whisked into heaven by Elisha in what? A chariot of fire, 
Second Kings 2.11. Apparently, God allowed Elisha, the prophet who would follow in Elijah's footsteps, to see the heavenly escort that was of angels that was sent for Elijah. Remember Psalm 91 where it says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. All thy ways, including thy way into the next world. The ministering spirits who have helped us here on earth will be with us in our last great battle on earth. Death is a battle. It's the last enemy, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26. You know, only one thin veil, one very thin veil, separates this physical world from the spiritual world. And that thin veil is what? Death. Although Christ vanquished death and he removed its sting, took the you know, victory away from the grave and the sting out of death by his redemptive work on the cross and by his glorious resurrection. Yet the crossing over of this valley still stimulates within us, we have to be honest, it still stimulates fear and uh, a mystery. So God sends his holy angels to assist the true believer as he takes that last journey. You know what it says, remember, in Psalm 116? 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The Christian should never see death, the death of a true believer, as a tragedy. Rather, he should see it as the angels see it. You know, they understand that joy should mark the journey from time to eternity, from this old sin-cursed world into the awesomeness of all that heaven has prepared for us. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Hundreds of accounts, hundreds, probably thousands of accounts of dying believers record their comments about a heavenly escort of angels. When the great evangelist D.L. Moody lay dying, he spoke up as if dreaming, and he said this. His last words were recorded. He said, Earth recedes. Heaven opens before me. No, this is no dream. It is beautiful. It is like a trance. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me, and I must go. Those were his last words. Charles Spurgeon said of the glory that attends the death of the redeemed, and he had stood at many a dying saint's bedside, he said this. He said, If I may die as I have seen some die, I court the grand occasion. I would not wish to escape death by some byroad if I may sing as they sang. If I may have such hosannas and alleluias beaming in my eyes as I have seen as well as heard from them, it were a blessed thing to die. And to quote Charles Spurgeon. Dr. Billy Graham has a book on angels, which I was using for part of this lesson. He said that right before his maternal grandmother died, he was with her, 
the family was gathered around her and he said right before she died the room seemed to fill with a heavenly light and suddenly she sat up in bed and almost laughingly said i see jesus he has his arms outstretched toward me she said i see ben that was her deceased husband and she said and i see the angels and then she slumped over and was absent from the body but present with the lord you know unfortunately we don't hear quite so many accounts like this today and i think this is probably due in part because dying patients nowadays are given so many drugs to help ease the pain that they cannot communicate to their loved ones around them in those last seconds of death and that's kind of a shame i after studying this i told my husband if i die before you or my children tell them don't give me all those drugs cuz i want to be able to communicate to you at those last minutes if that's the way i die you know who knows i wasn't going to go in the rapture i hope but i want to be able to communicate to you what i'm seeing at those last minutes nonetheless for those who face death in christ having truly put their faith in him and in his death on their behalf for their sins death is a glorious experience it's homegoing it's their perfection day isn't it one moment there may be suffering the next moment the released soul is surrounded by heavenly messengers divinely sent to bring him or her into god's very presence no more sin no more heartaches no more suffering no more tears just the wonders and the beauties and the splendor and the grandeur of heaven and the presence of Jesus Christ our savior and all the other believers of all the other ages and all the heavenly angels who will then be visible forever and ever so are you my question to you is are you ready to face death we never know we never know from one minute to the next i hope with all my heart that everyone in this room including you young you young people which i assume you all are but you never always know only god knows the heart i hope everyone in here is truly ready to face death and uh, be warned of this no one is really truly ready to die who has not also really learned to live for the glory of God. If you put your confidence and your trust in Jesus Christ because he died for you, then in those last great that last greatest crisis of all, he will have his angels gather you in their arms and carry you into his presence. And then all the other mysteries about angels that we don't know down here will find their answers.